Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Jimmy Schubert was just a kid from Philly who wanted to be a magician. That's how he started in show business, before moving to Los Angeles in the 1980s and taking a job at the Comedy Store, where he became the kid in Sam Kennison's Outlaws of Comedy crew. That led to development deals and pilots early on in his career. Over the years, you've seen Jimmy in recurring roles on King of Queens and Entourage, more recently as a finalist on Last Comic Standing, and as a headliner on David Tell's Comedy Underground. I caught up with Schubert at Montreal's Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, where he's performing as part of the Masters Showcase. So let's get to it! So, Jimmy Schubert. Yes. Uh... We've gone back a while, but, yeah, not, but not as far back as your relationship with Jess for Last Montreal. That's true. Was uh, your first one 20 years ago? It's... Is that uh, right? 1997? Well, I crashed the festival. Not a lot of people know this, but I, the first three years I came up here, I crashed it. And that's when the festival was small enough you could do it. And what I did was I called Jimbo, who used to run the, the Comedy Works. Okay. And I said, uh, I said, I'm coming up. Would I be able to get some spots? And he said, sure, I saw your tape, and you come heavily recommended, so yes. So I came up, and I did some spots, and I wound up getting into new faces because I was with a reporter from the Sun Sentinel named Jeff Rusnak, and I had a couple of guys follow me around and videotaping like it was like some kind of like thing. Back, this was like, you know, God, 97. So, yeah. And so I managed to get into the festival, and then uh, the next year, I, I, I mean, I got a pilot out of it. I wound up getting shooting a pilot for Fox called Youth and Revolt with Jane Kaczmarek and uh, Anthony, not Anthony Michael Hall, but who's the other kid? Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris was the kid in it, so I wound up shooting right. this thing. And I, it's funny, because I was working a couple in Tampa, and I got the phone call, you got the part, you're on the next plane out, they were flying you in, you got a rental car, and boom, I was on the set. And Jane Kaczmarek was, you know, the, the lead, and I played mm-hmm. her truck driver boyfriend. And then, so, I had such good fortune. I, I and you like Jane Kaczmarek, I got Doogie Howser on. So then what I did was, uh, the following year I came up and I brought my buddy Gary Valentine, and this time I came up and I headlined the comedy club the week before during the Nasty Show, and then during the festival I got on up there, and me and Gary wound up getting bubbling and we left there. We were able to actually crash the festival and get into the festival, and then I got a development deal. And then That's I got amazing. A, and I got another development deal after that. And so this was back when you could really launch your career from this festival. And that's always what this festival has been about. And now I've come up here many years later. This is a long time. Yeah, well, so what does it feel like now to be back here? Well, it's massive. It has grown so massive. I mean, we're staying at the Delta Bar. I mean, that Delta Bar was the area that you could schmooze and go from one end of the bar to the other end and schmooze with almost everybody in show business that you never have access to. I mean, that's what this festival has always been about is coming up here and, and doing that. Right. I'm impressed. Making a name for yourself and doing yeah. some business, well, getting yeah. deals done. Yeah, and now it's grown exponentially. And I know it's the 35th anniversary, so it's bigger than probably. But I love how they move the hotel here. It's in the center of everything. You can walk to all the venues. It's fantastic. And there's so much stuff going on. I mean, this whole street festival. I mean, it's really phenomenal. It's, I've never seen anything like it. I'm really glad it's grown. I was, you know, but I come back, I was like, wow, 
wow, there's so many people here now. There's so many shows. There's so much to do. There's so many things. Yeah. And I'm taping, I'm taping my gala tomorrow night with Joe McHale, and I'm doing the master show while I'm up here, which is kind of... A little pretentious, the master show. Like I, well, it's better masters than old faces. Yeah, it's new <laughs> new faces with lines in it. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, but the thing of it is, it's like you know when you do comedy at a high level, and and when you and there's people at all different levels here. Mm-hmm. You know, you see, there's a lot of different kinds of shows, a lot of different kinds of. Uh, you know, alternative and, you know, the state of the industry address and all this other stuff. It's just fun, man. I'm having fun. You see people you don't really get a chance to see. You know, because when you're headlining, you're out there headlining and you don't get to see a lot of people. And up here, it's like now, you know, it's like at the comedy store in Los Angeles. It's almost like every night down there, it's like a comedy festival because you get to see Ron White comes in and Mark Maron and Joe Rogan and Bill Burr and you get to see, you know, Chris D'Elia. And, you get and to then see everyone hangs out on the patio. and Yeah, so it's, it's, it's like that. But this is nice. I mean, I get to see people I haven't seen have access to people and, you know, go, oh, yeah, we got to get you back. I just boomed working on a date for you right now and, and get back in your clothes. Does the Magic World have anything like this? No. Magic oh, There's yeah, no, they, no big they, magician they, Actually, it's so funny. You say that. And there's a thing in Vegas called Magic Live that's going off in a couple of weeks, and I'm actually going to go to that. Oh, really? Yeah, because I uh, I float in both worlds, man. Well, that's why, I, like, I know, like, when you were a kid in Philly, I magic, started, magic was your first love. Hey, well, believe it or not, I, you know, uh, the parallels between magic and stand-up comedy are similar. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I love about magic is the discipline and the practice of magic that you have to practice and it's the discipline and the presentation you know and I think if a lot of people took that and laid that template over their stand-up comedy they'd be much better stand-up comedians I mean they these well, people practice and, and some guys go up on stage and wing it I don't gotta write my stuff down I'm just gonna go up and wing it and that's great but you know you know, magic you don't have that luxury you have to be so smooth because you're right. doing all these maneuvers while you're talking and well this yeah it is metaphorically a magic trick stand-up because people you give people the illusion that it's all happening in the moment when really it's something that you've well you've, you've worked figured on out and you've well yeah you work, honed. you work on it yeah like, well you oh, have that to. seemed like well because it takes like, well that ad lib I mean, was actually yeah but you, it, like, I like, sometimes that. you you take it, it takes you like six months to like work all the nuances mm-hmm. out in the bit I mean it's a raise of an eyebrow it's a look it's an expression it's a it's a gesture it's, right you know when right you, when, to realize. That the facial expression enhances it, or well, you're doing that way. That way, your stand-up becomes layered. It's not just a guy just saying funny things. You know, you're you're, there's 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 moments, and it's a performance. You know, right? You're selling. Absolutely, it's you know. So, well, how did you end up as a working class kid in Philly going to like the performing arts school in the first place? Well, because I, I'm, Sean, I'm blessed that I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I, I realized that I had this desire. I was just always a funny kid. I got six brothers. Right. I was always being funny around the house. And it's just, I love Charlie Chaplin. I remember I wanted to grow a little toothbrush, toothbrush mustache. I wanted to be Charlie Chaplin when I was a kid. I just loved it. And I love watching the Marx Brothers. And I love it. And I wanted to, and, uh, you know, so I went and I really kind of wanted to lay down a, a foundation for acting because I knew. Like, even then, it was like, you know, being a stand-up was just not enough. You know, you have to be able to act. You have to be able to do other things besides just being a stand-up. I knew it back then. I was lucky. I was fortunate that I just knew those things. And so, when I was older... Were your older brothers into that stuff, too? Well, no. My my brother Bobby played the drums. My brother Joey played guitar. And they were both in bands. Okay. So, there was a performing arts aspect, at least. Yeah, yeah. You know, in a a big family like that, you got to find your identity. And you find your identity early, you know? I mean, something to keep you busy. And I used to... And it was funny, because I started doing it when I was about nine or 10 magic and then 
Uh, by the time I was like 12 and 13, I started getting like business cards made. I started doing gigs. I would be able to do like a 30-minute magic show. And you would like, you know, you make 250 to 300 hours. And I was doing like four or five of those or six of those a month. I was working with a group called the Southampton Star Showcase. It was this old Jewish lady who smoked these long Capri cigarettes. She talked like this. And we had cassette tapes. As you cassette tape queued up. She was like the Broadway Danny Rose of Northeast Philadelphia. And we would do these temples with these old age people. Mm-hmm. And, it just, and it's funny because all the people in the in the South Hampton Star Showcase were all these older people who had like retired and gotten back into show business. Hey, I'm going to do what I want to do. And you know, so and I was just like this kid going, I'm not going to be that right. guy. I'm not going to have any regrets. So did I you pers- have a did you have a special magician name? Yeah, it was like just the amazing a, Jimmy. Or? No, it was a Shub 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 the magician. Shub the magician. The, yeah, they called me the great Shub Dini or whatever. Did you have a signature trick that was? Yours? No, but I had doves. I had doves. Ooh, I you had, had doves. Yeah, doves. I had a, like a full on shower. I do levitation. Yeah. I had assistants. I yeah, I had this girl that was an assistant, and I and we would do uh, you know I would do kids parties and uh, Boy Scout mm-hmm. jamborees and do these things, and that really got me comfortable in front of people. You know? Did you have a magician idol that you looked Copperfield, up to? Copperfield, like- Copperfield, Doug Henning. Uh, I loved Houdini. Uh, like people don't realize how big Houdini was, but I, I, they used to have in the seventies. They used to have a, magic specials on TV yeah. at least once or twice a year. And I, Henning and, and then Copperfield. Yeah, and I loved that it's an ancient art form that it goes all the way back. And I love that someone to the dark arts. Yeah, but it, but it, but it, <laughs> Where they thought but, you were witches. Yeah, but I love that people put that much thought into it and the presentation of it and this whole thing of it and so for me it's like you know you're in a hotel room for eight hours a day you know you get up in the morning do your meeting and then you gotta kill a couple hours so i'm working on card slides i'm working on tricks and i'll do my show and then i'll uh, come out and i'll do some close-up tricks at the bar or whatever not all the time but every once in a while you catch me i'll do it i just enjoy it i enjoy it immensely at 12 and 13 when you were making a couple hundred bucks per gig did you have any money management skills yeah, I would. To, put, you know, to sock I, that away, or yeah, I was were you inv- spending I, it all on? No, I was investing it. But you know, I, I was, I was lucky, man. I had a great childhood. I was, you know, uh, we. I like to go horseback riding, so we go down. We can rent horses for like twenty five, thirty bucks. I, I was in this. Uh, Group called the the, the Minutemen. It was like the Young Marines, where mm-hmm. like all people like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I guess it was like a recruiting program. So you got to hang out and do like military stuff. And I was in the martial arts. I played football, baseball. I did, you know, I like you know, what I like to refer to as like the last of the traditional American childhood. You know, before everybody had to worry about right. keep your kid off the street. Everybody's a pervert. You know, it was like like all that kind of stuff. So yeah, no, it was more like let your kids roam wild. Until dinner well, time. Well, yeah, but that's when you could do it. I mean, right. we go fishing. We would drive our bike, and our bikes. We rode seventeen miles to Church Road Reservoir, fished all day, and we'd come back. Right. You know, and my now, mom. You, now you said you loved magic, but you were also interested in acting from the get go. Yeah. So, what was your what was your first goal then? Did well, you want to take the, the well, magic doing, career was, to TV? Well, I was or, doing, I was or doing Vegas magic. Or I'll, I'll tell you what happened. I was doing magic, and I thought I should diversify because you know, mm-hmm. a really a magician is just an actor playing the part of a magician. And so I thought I should, uh, you know, I went. To, I had this opportunity to go to uh, the, the uh, high school for creative performing arts, uh, Kappa Creative and Performing Arts High School in Philly and Broad and Spruce. So it took me an hour. It was a magnet school. They paid for your transportation down there. I had to get up at like 6 o'clock to be there by 7. And it took uh, three three drama classes a day. And uh, and whenever we had to do shows, they would do performances and stuff. I was like the school magician, so I would go out and perform. And then um, and then when I, I kind of went back to my old high school to graduate because I was thinking about college mm-hmm. and stuff. And like... 
and I was hanging out at the magic shop, and I just like it was like, how many famous magicians do you know? And there were only two at the time, really. And I said, oh, that's a good point. All right. And then I started getting interested in stand-up comedy, and then I just went and... What uh, was the comedy scene in Philly like at that time? Well, you had the Comedy Factory outlet, which was like this little kind of... Little in the back. You had to walk down Cherry Street, which is a back alley. Great place for stabbing and shooting. And then there was this other place called the Comedy Works, and a place called that was like uh, above the Middle East restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then you had... Um, these little satellite rooms, John Barley Corns and stuff like that. So you could get, it was pretty active. And I mean, you could were, do it. Were those like in Bucks County? or Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And I started with uh, Keith Robinson. Okay. Yeah, me and Keith started together and Todd Glass was kind of established there but that, that, was like, that was the old school Philly squad like right there and, and a couple other dudes but like you know Ron Gallup and uh, you know George Sharp and some of those folks and, and I just I did it for a couple of years in Philly and I was like yeah this is it this is what I want to do at what, and, at what point did you decide to make the move to LA? Probably about I was doing it for two years and I always planned to move to LA and I literally uh, I Was it a, a financial decision or a career decision where you're like okay I'm ready to do this now. no here's what it was I, I worked all summer I worked two jobs doing mm-hmm. construction I get up at 6 o'clock in the morning I carry 90 pound cinder blocks and then I go to this job at night where I was cutting beef behind a bar on a steam table and bartending on the weekends and I wound up saving about $15,000 and I was going to go, Whew. and I was going to save my, I, I, I had no social life, but I it's didn't like care. It's like Alaskan fisher boat money. Yeah, yeah. And then I was just going to, I was going to move to L.A., and this mm-hmm. is like, you know, not, this is like 86. Uh, so I drove out, uh, I put all my stuff in my car and drove out to Los Angeles. And I was there two weeks, and I got a, I had a little hotel room, and, I, and then, uh, then I, I said, uh, and I was listening to these tapes called The Psychology of Winning by Dr. Dennis Waitley. And I was just listening to them over and over yeah. again. And so I hit L.A., and like two weeks from the day I got there, I, I started my day job. I moved into my apartment, and I, uh, I showcased for Mitzi in the same night. And I didn't get passed, but I wasn't ready. But mm-hmm. uh, what happened is... Uh, Andy Kaufman had passed away, and it was like a year after his death, and and uh, Tony Clifton was appearing live, and everybody thought, oh, my God, this is a great joke. This is going to be, he's coming back. He faked his own death. And so we got all this press attention, and they, need, and they needed doorman, and so they hired me for the night, and then I wound up getting in as, the door, uh, as a doorman there. Mm-hmm. And that was, and it came up through Mitzi Shore had this system that, you know, you sat there and you get to watch the best guys in the country. And for me, that was really like my college. You know, I got to watch Robin Williams and I got to watch Jim Carrey and I Sam Kinison and Arsenio Hall. And none of these guys were actually famous yet. I mean, Jim had kind of done some stuff, but you get to watch these guys. And right, they were like, yeah, Jim didn't get famous until Liv- in Living Color, really. Which yeah. Was- yeah, but you get nine ninety. Yeah, and but then, I mean, he got standing ovations every yeah. night in the main room. It was phenomenal. I mean, no, and then he just stopped. And then went to acting, just took acting, and then came back and was doing some avant-garde stuff where he'd throw himself on the piano and just stay there all night. I mean, it was fascinating. Uh, but, yeah, you got to watch and learn from, like, the best guys in the country. For me, that was my college. I look at that as my college. And I learned a lot. I learned what not to do. I learned what to do. I got a little lost along the way. But the good news is, Sean, we're way ahead of schedule. You know what I mean? <laughs> Speaking of getting lost, did you want to get uh, kind of recruited into Kinnison's Outlaws, or was that well, just something that no, it just, happened it and just, you went it, along for the ride? It just kind of happened, and I went along for the ride. And you know, you know, the thing is, look, I'm not. Look, it was it was madness. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you. I, and I would you know, I haven't thinking about it now and thought about it. I, I mean, I go back and maybe I would have changed a few things. Right. And maybe I wouldn't. But you know, it's also legendary, and it was right. also good to be a part of it. And I know, I know Marin talks about 
his brief encounters with Kinnison. Yeah, and, and me and Mark started together. We were both dormant. Dorm, but yes. yeah, but but he, he, Mark's right. I mean, it was like you know, you're you know, he should, Sam should have been looking out for the young guys. He should have been you know, instead he was like a little bit of a bully, and he, you know, and he and you're mixing a truckload of drugs and a truckload of booze, and you're hanging out, and these guys idolize you, and you you know, you could you take advantage of like you know, so you chase a guy out, you know, and make a guy feel so bad he has to leave town, you know, and and he had a, and he has a drug problem, so he's like you know, paranoid and stuff. And I remember grabbing Mark. I said, Mark, it's bullshit. I said, just get your shit together. Stop doing it. And, I, and really, and he wrote about it in the book. And I right. said, you were the only one who was actually straight with me. And we talked about it on his podcast. I said, what did you do then? He goes, well, I got another eight ball. And then I drove out. <laughs> but, you know, I love Marin. And I really do. I have a great affection for him because I, I love seeing him have the success that he's having. And you see a lot of guys like, like Joey Diaz is another guy. Uh, loves Coco. Yeah, he's really killing it now. I mean, and everybody is. You know, you podcasting kind of changed comedy a little bit. It's a it's a new dynamic. Social media is a new dynamic, and you got to be kind of like you know, killing it a little bit. You know, it's you should be. Uh, Using all of it. I mean, I, the, I was podcasting for a while, but for me, I got I was busy doing a lot of other stuff. And I, I go, is, is the juice is the juice worth the squeeze? And for me, uh, I just I was auditioning and I was and I had like you know it was like too it was too much. Mm-hmm. I, and plus, I was I just come off last comic standing, and it was like I mean, I, was, I, I mean, literally was on the road for like nine months trying to do it. And it was I just had to let one thing go, so I didn't I completely lose my mind because it was just, you know between auditioning and doing that, freaking you know it's just. But, you know, I'm waiting for the next big thing to come along. I did on that. But it sounds like, you know, you're mentioning seeing how Marin's coming into his own and seeing Joey Coco Diaz, the same thing, that all of this stuff is kind of inspiring you to keep you keep your uh, fire in the belly. Yeah, because you have to stay relevant, you know, and you see guys like that. You look, and Joey Diaz is a great example of keep doing what you're doing and... Be, too, be true to who you are. And Marin, too. Marin's the same way. I mean, you know, I got it was lucky enough that I was able to get on the last season of Marin, and we had a great time. And now he's on he was on that show Glow, which Netflix has right. got great reviews. And I was talking to Mark because Mark was producing the show. He's writing the show. He's acting the show. It was like eight months of the year. He was just working. And then he, and then he has to shoot it for four months. And, and it was a lot of responsibility. I think now he could just memorize lines and show up and do, and do Glow, which right. I think is better suited for that, you know? But, yeah, I just... I couldn't be happy for guys. I always root for my friends because I think their wins are my wins. I think, and you're right, it does. And you, and if there's anything more inspiring is to, is to watch these guys. I mean, just stay true to what you're doing and be keep writing. Did you know who you were when you were running with the Outlaws? No, no. I after Sam died. I, it was 92, and I, I moved to Florida, and I took a job as a house MC. Where in Florida? It was a Boca Raton. It was okay. a place called Haggerty's. And so uh, I worked there six nights a week. I had to seat the room. I had to, and I would go up, and you had to do like 20, 25 minutes up front. You had to do 10 or 15 in between, and this was back then, you know. And so that's where I really found my voice. I kind of got out of L.A. I kind of got away from all this, this yeah. stuff, and I really just South went. South Florida is about the farthest geographically and spiritually you can get from yeah, LA and comedy I, but, scene. but I also had writing sessions I would set you know I, I would I would write a lot mm-hmm. and I was going up every night and it was the same people were coming in so you had to be fresh and you had to and you know you talk to anybody I mean like you know David Say or Rich, uh, Richard Belzer when they were emceeing mm-hmm. the comic strip is like that's what I really they, I, tar, I heard them talk about it you know I was lucky enough to, to talk to Belzer and hang out he goes yeah when I was emceeing it's I really I really found my thing you know and Belzer you know I, I was lucky enough that you had access to these guys and I built a foundation of an education Right. what real stand-up was and how to get and how to do it at a high level and how to really write 
a, a well-crafted bid. I I right. put that, you know. So now, now this just gave me time to go do that, and and working six nights a week really just kind of immersed me in it. You were know? you part of that South Florida comedy scene with like Billy Gardell and the Regan brothers? And well, they were a little. They were like, uh, like no, the they Scott were Scott Thompson, Carrot Top. Um, yeah, well, I knew I knew Carrot Top. I knew Carrot Top. I, I'm working with Todd on the Masters. Yeah, I knew of them, but I, at that time, I think they had all gone. Oh, okay. And Billy was up in Orlando, and Brian was off doing his thing. Tom and, Rhodes? And, yeah, I, yeah, I knew Tom. I knew Tom. And I, I, knew, I knew Billy. I mean, me, me and Billy, we worked with Bennington. I because I'm not sure how, like, how tight that whole Florida group was. No, it was pretty tight. I mean, you know, Ron Bennington was the guy. I mean, Ron and Bennington. was over in Tampa? Yeah, he was over in Clearwater, and he had a club in Clearwater, and yeah. he would run it. And, and believe it or not, a lot of guys, you know, Bennington was responsible for a lot of guys like him and Tom Rhodes and, and, and Lou Angeloff and, and, and Kevin Rogers and, and Billy Gardell and those guys and, and Dan Carlson. And, uh, you know, and then and Ron had a radio show, and then, then we did the Disciples of Comedy show. And, and so that was a lot of fun. I, I was just on the Comedy 101 show last night, which was yeah. a blast. It was a lot of fun. I got I got a lot of history with Bennington. I, I mean, I think Ron, Ron, and again, Ronnie kind of jumped from one station to another. Now he landed in New York, and yeah. he's and he's really kind of immersed himself in the comedy culture up there. And I think it's fantastic. Were you still in Florida then, in '97 when you came up to crash? Montana? Yeah. Well, I say '96. And then I moved back out. I moved back out after the festival. I moved back out to LA in '97. Right, because then you were getting development deals. Yeah, and exactly. So pilots. I had, so I had to be out there. Yeah, so I had to be out there for that. And that's that but when was, you came up to Montreal. Did you fly or did you drive up? No, no, we flew up. But here's was the thing. I said, you know, I'll go back to LA when mm-hmm. I have a manager, when I have an agent, and when I have a reason to go back out there. Right. And uh, the festival got me back out there. Give me a, a second chance, if you will. And so I did not take it for granted. And I went out, and I went after it, and I was really working on auditioning, and you know, I had a development deal, and I got I got the movie Go. Right. And I started my 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 strategy with my manager at the time was let's just go get a couple of uh, co-stars, so you could have a couple lines here, a couple lines there, and build a couple credits on the resume, and then have a reel, and then have a reel, and then go to guest stars, and that's what I did. Right. And then I got a, and then I got Go, and then you know I started I started nailing stuff. I was lucky because I knew how to audition well, so I started getting these bit parts right. and One stuff hour like photo, that. And yeah, yeah, and, and all. Also, it got I got me my health insurance, and I realized I could bank at the credit union, and I had all kinds of benefits. So it made me feel part of something bigger than just being a comedian right. who was doing road gigs. And I was like, I really want to kind of lean. I leaned into that a little bit, and really. Did you Did you think about doing Last Comic Standing before the year that you did it? I did, but I uh, you know the first couple episodes, like ah, I was like I, I struggled with. Was I too big to do it, or did I need right. to do it, or why did I need to? Because the first it, couple of seasons, it varied widely between people who want who were on the come up and people who were like, "Oh, I I need a big break," and this yeah. this gets me on primetime TV. Yeah, well, so, the, so you saw the cast change from like season one to season two. Yeah, and and it was a big thing, and I also saw people's careers change. And I think the summer before I did it. You know, the summertime's tough to get booked, and I was kind of struggling a little bit, and I was like, you know what? And the opportunity presented itself, and so I said, you know what? Why not? What? Why not? Get yourself, and if nothing for, for more than, you know, marketing and stuff, and I've done it. And so I got it in, I got lucky, I made, uh, I was a finalist right, in the show, I made it kind of deep, and then, and then I really kind of, I wanted to use it for that purpose, but I didn't want to make top five, and I didn't really win it. I mean, there's people who win it, and then there's people who win it. I mean, right. Amy Schumer finished seventh or eighth. I mean, you know, uh, that fan won it, but uh, Ralphie May 
kind of really won it, right. you know. I mean, so you, you see Alonzo Bowden, uh, he like won it, like one of John Heffernan yeah. is up here this year. Yep. These guys are all last comic standing alumni, and it's just like how you take those opportunities and use them, and then you know. But you always got to be, you know. It's so funny. I just it just kind of worked out, timed it right because my because last comic standing aired my episode aired, and then my David Tell thing. Uh, right, Comedy Underground Comedy, Comedy Underground. Central. They, they aired like back to back. It was like three things. It was like com- uh, Last Comic Standing, Dave Tells Comedy Underground, and then Showtime Stand Up. And I had like like three or four things hit within like two weeks. And it was kind of boom. And then this went on the road for like nine months and then uh, came back. And, you know, now you're kind of up here again trying to like, you know, stay relevant, do your new stuff. And I, I got a, I shot an hour special I produced myself. We're going to try to sell that this year. And uh, I got a movie coming out that I was I have one of the leads in, which is kind of like one of those comedy horror movies called Tales from the Crib. I play like, you know, like, like Tales like from the Crib. Like a comedy condo? Yeah, well, it's like, I play like this Rush Limbaugh character who's mm-hmm. a misogynistic. It's called Hate Radio. And right. what happens is someone gives me this picture of me and it's yeah. great. And in the picture, I start to turn into a woman. And then in real life, I start to turn into a woman. And then I get abducted by a serial killer who takes a blowtorch to my face. Hey. But yeah, it's like one of those kind of ridiculous. Don't tell me the whole thing. No, no, it's just my, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sorry. I don't, spoiler alert. No, but it's, uh, but it's fantastic. It's, you know, it's got a good cast. Right. Uh, Vivica Fox is in it, Chris Kattan. So it's got a good cast, but it's one of those like comedy horror kind of things yeah. where it's like ridiculously, it's like too horror to even like, take it seriously. You know? How are your goals different now than 10 or 20 years ago? That's a great question. Well, you know, I really like to look to get on like a, like to get it in a casting situation on a TV show now because uh, as much as I love doing stand up, I mean you know you need, and even but even even so it's it's just changed now with like right. you know electronic celebrities and stuff like that. You're trying to figure it out like I got real TV and movie credits, and everybody's well you know he's got a million hits on YouTube and that's what people are booking. I go yeah right. but I, I've actually done movies and television. Yeah but uh, how many Instagram followers? It's like it's become like the stupid. It's like a stupid thing. Like the club will go, how many Instagram followers do you have? I go, well, how many Instagram followers does the club have? How many how many Twitter followers does the club have? I mean, you know, I mean, I was doing like a, you know a couple comedy clubs, and like for like three weeks before, I'm tweeting at the club. I'm I'm on Instagram in the club. Nothing, not a retweet. Not a, not a, the day after I get done doing a gig, someone likes it from the club. I go, well, you gotta meet me halfway. I'm like, you know, you know what I mean? Meet me. You gotta, aren't we partners in this together? Yeah. Aren't we trying to promote it together? It's, you know, but but you know, they, it's like you know, they say, oh, you, you gotta shoot your special in 4K. I go 4K. Like they say, I go, do you even know what that means? Do you know the human and I is not even able to process all the visual information in a 4K image. Okay, you say 4K, you don't even know what it means. You can edit in 4K, you can shoot in 4K, mm-hmm. but people can't watch it in 4K. So it's almost a, a mute point. They can watch it in 1080p, but I mean, what are you, what are you talking about? Do you people even know what the fuck you're talking about? I mean, it's like... You, Most okay. people don't answer like that. Most people go, oh, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, well, well, well no, I, I get it, but right. we'll know what you're talking about. Because I produce my specials, this is like the second special I produce. I know about production. Yeah. I, you know, I can edit my own specials. I got a whole editing bay in my house. I know what it's like. I understand. You know, uh, but, but 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 what are the reasons for it? I mean, you know, and there's and you know, I've had people say to me, "Oh, well, you know, if you were a minority or special," I go, "What does that mean?" Right. It's a comedy special. At some point, is it about being funny or not? I mean, what's your agenda here? And I'm not being a, I'm not being an asshole because, but but at the same time, it's like. You know, if you're relevant and you're hilarious, then what's the point? It's a comedy special. Right. Shouldn't it be funny? Shouldn't it be funny at some point? I mean, you know, I, I you know, I get it, but 
It's a fucking comedy special. Right. It should have fucking jokes in it. Because like, I watch, I watch a lot of specials, and I'm sitting there ten minutes in, going, "Come on, man, give me something." Yeah, they've made a lot of specials over the last couple of years, and some well, of, some of them aren't. Well, aren't that, that great. But, yeah, but it's fine because you know why? Because you can't fake it. Look, you can. You, you look. There's a lot of funny people out there, but you, you know, it's you gotta. You know, at some point, you gotta reward being funny. I mean, you know, you can't punish somebody. You, you know, it's it's it's. It, I don't know. It's 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 interesting. It's right. a it's a funny business. You well, know? you know, you, I've interviewed uh, Gardell a couple times, and you know, his story is fascinating because he was on the verge of quitting. Dude, I, he, he got was Mike my neighbor. He was my neighbor. He lived upstairs from me. He would come down to my house and go, sure, but I'm going to pack the family up. We're going back. Going to, to Pittsburgh. And he was literally, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, he was literally going to, you know. He had know. a gig, morning radio gig. No, yeah. I mean, he was doing that. He was, like, you know, planning an exit strategy. And then that happened. And so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, like, that's usually when it happens, you know. But, uh, you know, Billy did that. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's hosted some game shows. He's done some, some other stuff. He was just on the TNT show, Sun Records. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he's just, once you get in there, once you get in it, then you're in it. You know what I mean? But you have to pop in and break through that little. Does that, does that kind of like teach you or remind you of the valuable lesson of like, don't give up, just keep grinding? Well, yeah, but also figure out what you want and figure out what's important. I mean, you know, it's, it's also, you know, get your priorities straight. What do you really want? When at, at, the, at the end of the day, I always ask people, like, what do you want? Now, it seems like a deceptively simple question, right. you know, but it happens to be a really important question. What do you want in your life and yeah. where are you to get and what you want in your life and how do you fix that? How do you change that? And so I've had to adapt. The business has changed so much since I've been in it and especially in the last couple of years and you... And if you're not, like, you know, I got friends of mine going, why do I tweet? Why do I have a tweet? What, do I, what am I tweeting for? I go, bro, it's just the world we live in now. And you're trying to talk to these guys, and, uh, you know, and they go, I don't get it. And then, you you know, they're, 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 they're struggling. I go, because you, you got to have a social media presence. You've got to have a presence now on the Internet. Yeah. And you got to have a smart presence on the Internet. You can't be doing, you know, rude and, and stuff because people look at your Twitter. You can lose jobs that way. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, it's we, you know, the, the whole world's being, you know, policed by social media now. It's being expurgated by the political correctness police. It's being shamed by oversensitivity. We've become like you know, it's it's kind of you know, and you have to navigate. Well, it part all. of that well, part of that problem, I believe, is that you can't always uh, decipher the tone in a tweet. There's no sarcasm, so, fun, yeah. is what you're saying. There's no, uh, yeah, but because people, so people just well, well, take you know, a screen cap of and, your and, and the go, other thing well, is, look, what, he's so offensive, and you go, yeah. And when do people become? If you hear it in my voice, you'll know that it's a really yeah, funny. And, and when did you become so? When did people become so sensitive? You know, and, and you got all these internet trolls out there. Right. I go, look, you living in your parents' basement, rent free. You're surfing the neighbor's wireless internet. That he doesn't even know about. You're eating Cheetos and beating off to your dicks orange, playing PlayStation Four. And you're gonna reach out and 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 and, and criticize my life? Are you fucking kidding me? I got more character and integrity in my little finger you got in your entire body. You little fucking douchebag. I'll stab you in the neck with a pencil. But I mean, you you know, you you get exposure to like you know, you do last comic standing, and right. there's all this hate comes at you for no fucking reason. You go, oh, Jesus. Really? Really? Just because I'm, I'm doing something I love to do? I mean, you know, just people sitting But you're doing that in that hat? <laughs> yeah, you're doing oh, that nice hat, asshole. But, you know, but it's like it's like the same Yelp thing. Everybody yeah. everybody thinks they're a food critic now because they DVR chopped. I'm going, here's a guy busting his ass for 90 hours a week in a sandwich franchise. You're going to topple it because he, he forgot your side of pickle because he wasn't, you know, you know what I mean? So it's it, it, we live in strange times now, and I, I think... 
I said we live in a digital panopticon, Ooh. which is a uh, which is I like a, that word panopticon. Yeah, well, it's a it's a type of institution that was developed by Jeremy Bethany in the late eighteen hundreds, where a single guard shack could watch all the the cells in the prison mm-hmm. and uh, the window, and you wouldn't know which cell he was watching, so you had to conduct yourself and behave a certain way all the time, uh, all the time because they didn't know. And so now, you know, Big Brother doesn't have to watch us anymore because we're watching each other. Yeah. We're videotaping and we're complicit in losing all our own privacy. So yeah. It's a strange yeah, time. Yeah, we give we, it willingly to Facebook. Yeah, well, you know, people don't. People they don't have know. to ask. I'm, we, using, I'm using the internet. I go, no, you're not. What you're doing is you're you're complicit in giving up all your information right. and all your privacy. They know how you think. They know what you think. They, they take know, pictures they of what you're, where you are. They know where you are. They checking in. They know when you're not home, so they can. Yeah, you. and and I and I think. Look, I I mean, I happen to be a private. Pro- I know you have to do some of it, mm-hmm. but I also like to be a little kind of. I have a little of my own life, you know, a little yeah. privacy. I want to look. You don't need to know everything about me, you know. You you know, I work hard. I do a great job, and I'll you know, I have some new jokes every every you know three to six months. Always writing the act mm-hmm. as a growing, living, breathing organism that changes constantly and flows. And and and, but you don't need to know what the fuck I'm having for lunch. You don't need to, you know. You know, it's just oh, like I, well, I think I have, people are desperate. I was, gonna, I was about to ask you, but no, it's fine. <laughs> I had the uh, I had the smoked meat eggs Benedict. Mmm, smoked meat. Love it. Well, Jimmy, I I look forward to seeing the new special. Thanks, man. When you get, hope hope you get it sold and put out there. And yeah, man. Thanks and thanks for having me on the uh, thanks for having me on the podcast, man. It's, uh, it's I appreciate great. it. It's always fun catching are up. You, with you. Uh, let me ask you a couple questions. Are you having fun up here? Uh, yeah, because we go back to the Danny Murray days. Got rest yeah. so. You know, back in the Danny back Mardis. in the day, the, 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 the Arizona. Yeah. Thank God there was no social media around then, huh? Oh no. Yeah. No. See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> hey, brother, good see you. Cut. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.